Welcome! You're listening to audio of Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. At ICC, we are being transformed by Jesus to impact our world. Wherever you are as you listen today, we want you to know that we love and appreciate you. We're so glad you're here. We hope today's message will help you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thanks again for joining us. Good morning, everybody. Uh, again, my name is Micah Roder, and I'm genuinely excited to be here this morning. Uh, for those of you, if you're regular attenders, members, guests, uh, people watching online, uh, just really cool opportunity for me to get to come and hang out with y'all this morning and hopefully share a little bit of my heart and what the Lord has been showing me through just scripture study, uh, specifically on this topic. So excited to, to jump in and appreciate you guys giving me this opportunity. A little bit about me, I always like to kind of introduce myself so you know um, who is talking to you. So as Barrett mentioned, I have a, a deacon here at ICC and my, my role is mainly uh, to kind of help build systems and processes to help our regular attenders and members uh, grow and develop personally uh, and grow their leadership skills, their spiritual giftings uh, for their own personal and spiritual growth, but also then to help highlight and use that as we kind of plug people into the church to be able to serve the kingdom and kind of outflow their personal giftings into our local body as well as into the world. It's really awesome to see when someone really gets who they are and who God has created them to be and who their, what their giftings are to be able to help activate them to use that and then to kind of put them out, whether that's through a ministry through the church or a ministry in the local community. It's a really fun opportunity to do that. So some great, exciting things coming in that area, but that's been really fun to work on uh, in my deacon role. And then also I serve on the finance team, which is another really cool opportunity. You may not know that we have a finance team at ICC that may be really cool for some of you. Some of you may be like, that's really boring, but I think it's really cool. It's really fun. Uh, the finance team has a few different roles. One is kind of a strategic role. Where are we going as a church and how do we use our finances to get there? Uh, one of them is almost like an oversight role, making sure we are you know, spending wisely, being good stewards of our money. And then uh, another one is a discipleship role. How can we disciple ourselves, our church, the members of our church in order to um, be generous givers, be responsible with their giving and just understand more what uh, the whole concept of giving financially is all about. So it's kind of that finance role. I, uh, a little bit about me personally, I grew up in uh, Earl, Arkansas, which is about 30 miles from here on the Arkansas side. Uh, so I went to college at Union University, Jackson, Tennessee, uh, went on to grad school in Nashville. I worked in the corporate world for a little while because I thought that that's exactly what I wanted to do. Thought that that's what the Lord had for me, uh, but ended up deciding that wasn't for me. Just never felt comfortable in that role. I think I was chasing things that I wasn't supposed to be chasing. So I uh, took a break, I took a year off and did some mission work overseas, did a program called The World Race. The World Race uh, gives you the opportunity to go to 11 countries in 11 different months and partner with local missions partners. And so you get to see just a whole wide range of uh, ministry opportunities. So I did that, it was incredible. And I came back, I worked in Indianapolis, Indiana for a few years with a nonprofit leadership development organization and then about three years ago in 2018, I moved back to this area. Uh, my family has a business in Arkansas. And so I specifically moved back to work for that business. 
It's kind of funny, growing up, I said, I'll never live in Memphis and I'll never work for the family business. And then I moved back to Memphis specifically to work for the family business. So God's funny in that way sometimes. But yeah, that's how I ended up here. Uh, I started coming to ICC in 2018. I joined the church in the spring or early spring of 2019. And then it's just been a wonderful opportunity. I don't know about you all, but the staff here is incredible. I've been to a lot of different churches, been to a lot of places. They really are people that, they're human, right? They're not gonna be perfect, but they love the Lord. They love this church, they love this city, and they're passionate about making a difference for the kingdom. And that's something, one of the reasons that made me excited to be at ICC is I knew that there was a group of people that were committed to doing kingdom work in the city of Memphis. And that was something that was really exciting for me. I got involved in a small group, met some really wonderful people. Uh, One of those wonderful people that I ended up meeting in the small group uh, ended up becoming my wife. She's right over here, Carrie. Um, So this first picture, I love this. This first picture here is at an ICC event. Uh, It's our very first picture we ever have together. It was at a spring picnic. Uh, a couple of years ago. So uh, we met in life group. We kind of, we didn't even really like each other for the first few months. And eventually something clicked. The Lord moved in our hearts. I decided to pursue her. And uh, pretty quickly we moved into a season of dating and then eventually a marriage. So for you guys or gals that are single in ICC small groups, there's hope. I'm just saying. <laughs> Word for me. And so anyway, so yeah, that's uh, kind of my story of how I ended up at ICC. Um, I kind of grew up in the church as far as my personal uh, testimony, grew up in the church. There wasn't like a moment in my life where I felt, had this emotional come to Jesus kind of moment. I just feel like there has been just kind of a faithful discipleship process throughout my life. I grew up literally in the church and as I grew, I started to deepen my, my understanding of the Lord and my relationship with the Lord. And that's kind of changed and shifted throughout the years, but um, really excited to be in this position. And again, really excited to be here to speak with you all this morning. So as I mentioned, I've kind of transitioned into the topic this morning. Uh, As Barrett talked about, we've been doing topical sermons this summer. And I don't know about you, it's been really cool to get an opportunity to experience that, to get to hear different questions. I love going through um, Dex of Jesus, through different books of the Bible, but to have a chance to ask some really important questions that I think have been on a lot of our minds throughout the last year or two, um, especially some of us, maybe our whole lives. But getting the opportunity to really look at topic, topically-based questions has been really cool. And kind of in my role as the, on the finance team this morning, as well as just my passion as an individual, we're going to talk about the question, why should I give financially to the local church? So we're going to jump into that this morning. Before we get started, I just want to say, I don't know about you, when I grew up, I grew up in a very small conservative church, and I loved my church. I loved my pastors. I grew a lot in the word there. But there were always one or two giving sermons per year, and it was always super awkward. There was always a lot of guilt and shame and condemnation about you need to be giving this much, or you need to be giving, we're short on the budget, or just fire and brimstone kind of tie the sermon, if you will. And it never failed. Every time that happened, I had invited a friend. So super awkward sitting there with my buddy. And he's like, what the heck? Why did you invite me to somebody wanting my money? So that was always awkward. I don't know if you've experienced that. 
Some of you may have experienced kind of the opposite a little bit of there's a lot of these movements of this health and wealth, this kind of prosperity gospel, as people call it, where they're all about, hey, give me $1,000 to my ministry and you will never be sick. You're, you'll get a promotion. You're going to get a jet. Everything's going to be great. There's all these kind of manipulations that come with it. And some people, I think, genuinely are, are good hearted and they just misinterpret the scriptures and they think that they're following the scriptures. I think some people do it out of actual manipulation for personal gain. But either way, those experiences kind of oftentimes lead people with a feeling of ickiness or apprehension when it comes to talking about finances. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you've experienced that. Or when I popped this question up on the screen, maybe you guys were like, oh, it's time to dip out to the bathroom real quick. There's just like an awkward feeling. But hopefully today, uh, you all will give me the benefit of the doubt. I want to attack this question from a little bit of a, a bigger picture, more of a vision of who God is and how that spurs us uh, to give financially to the church and the reasons why that's important. So again, I hope you will bear with me and uh, give me an opportunity to invite you on. To me, I see it more as a journey. I see it as an adventure and as an opportunity versus a requirement versus something that um, is, is just flatly awkward. So excited to jump into that. I'm going to go ahead and uh, pray, and then we'll jump into the scriptures. God, just so thankful for this opportunity. Thankful for uh, just the ability to dive into your word, for the ability to share things that you have exposed to me. Ask that as I'm speaking today, that nothing uh, that I say comes from me, but that it's your word that gets to be exposed in the hearts and minds of the people. We just thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your provision for us in the way that you allow us to partner uh, with people through our church. So thank you so much for this opportunity. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, we're going to jump to the text again. I know we just read it, but I want to read it again just to kind of help me, if not you. So Second uh, Corinthians 9, 6 through 11. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which, will, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. All right, so let's jump into the first point. Why is giving to the church financially important? It's important because we are able to glorify God by pursuing his person. So thinking about the verse that we just read, it says not to give reluctantly, not to give compulsively, but that God loves a cheerful giver. So what is reluctantly? Obviously reluctantly is when you pull out your money and you're about to put it in the offering plate and your hands are sweating and you don't want to do it. Or when you're online and you're about to press that give button and you just kind of like open up another tab because you're like, ah, I'll get, I'll get to it in a minute. Uh, compulsively is 
when you feel like you have to. It's like you are, someone is compelling you to do that, whether that's, you know, you feel obligated to do it or you feel shamed. Compulsion can also mean you think that you'll get something in return. It's like, oh, if I give this, I'll get that. Or it could mean I'll feel good about myself. Like I can give this and maybe I'll feel good about myself. But the scripture says that that's not how God wants us to give. God wants us to give cheerfully. And why is that? Well, when we think about God, a lot of times we, in our discipleship, when we're trying to, to understand his character more, we think about a lot of his attributes, right? We think about his honesty, we think about his faithfulness. When we're going through our Christian walk, if you will, uh, we f- focus on studying the scriptures. We focus on praying, we focus on maybe uh, doing mission work. But one thing that we forget about a lot is God's role as a giver, in our life. God is the ultimate giver. He has given us life. He has given us breath. He has given us friendships, relationships. He's given us sustenance. He's given us everything that we could possibly imagine. He's given us his son. We created, or God created us for relationship with him. Through our sin, we severed that relationship. But because he loved us so much and wanted to pursue us, He gave us his son to rectify that relationship so that we would be able to have relationship with him. Like God literally has given us everything. And the beautiful part about all that is that like God does not need us. God wants us. He chooses us. He loves us. He doesn't need us, a relationship with us. He also doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our giving. But what he does like to do is invite us into the adventure, into the opportunity of growing in an understanding of him through that act of giving. So God has created us as humans in his own likeness. Like we are made in the image of God, right? God is a cheerful giver. God is the most glorious, gracious giver that there is. So for us to live out the fullest identity of who we are, for us to be able to be people that are growing and developing in the the image and the likeness of the Lord, it would then follow, it would make sense that our hearts and our actions should start growing in becoming cheerful givers. God creates us, and a lot of times people see Christianity as all these rules. You can't do this, you can't do that, you have to do this. But God is the creator. The reason that he has these things outlined in the scriptures is because he wants your greatest good. If you think about someone that designs an engine or designs a website or a computer or whatever, they know the best way for that product to be used. They know what's going to make that product the, the, fill, fulfill its best life. God's the same way. God creates us and he gives us laws and rules because he wants us to live our best life. Our greatest good is becoming more and more like God. We glorify God when we become more like him because that's who he's created us to be. It's like this kind of crazy cycle, but he wants our greatest good and our greatest good is to be a cheerful giver and God loves a cheerful giver. So we grow in God's love for us. We grow in our understanding of God, the more we grow to give. You see that? It's like really cool. It was exciting when I was got to see this in the scripture. The, uh, The verse that I wanna read next is Acts 17, 25. It says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind and breath and everything. 
So again, this is where it's talking about God doesn't need us, but he chooses to come after us. He chooses to give us opportunity to partner with him. If he doesn't need us, why does he give us this opportunity? Because it's for our greatest good and because we get to understand more of who God is through this practice. Y'all following me? Tracking with me? All right. So this is how life works in everything. Like I was talking about, uh, an opportunity for obedience is an opportunity to grow in your understanding of the Lord and an opportunity to pursue who he is. So whether that's in financially giving, whether that's in other disciplines or other areas, walks of your life, the act of obedience is an act of love and it's an act of cheerful giving in a different way. But I don't know about you, a lot of times I have struggled in my Christian walk to really understand God, I guess, and the way that he loves me. Like, how can God be a cheerful giver to me? Like, that, that concept sometimes doesn't make sense. I mean, like I said, I've been in church my whole life. I've done some mission work before. And, and still, sometimes I see God as like this long-bearded old man sitting in the corner with his arms crossed with a frown waiting for me to mess up. It's like he's going to be disappointed in me or upset with me. But that's, that's not right. And can you see how like my heart towards giving would be affected by my understanding of who God is? Like I don't necessarily know if I want to partner with somebody who's like waiting for me to mess up. It just has a weird vibe. But that's not God's fault. That's my lack of understanding of who God truly is. And it's completely wrong. Uh, if you have been in small group with me at all, or you've kind of heard me talking before, I think I mentioned it in announcements. One of my favorite verses is Zephaniah 317. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love, and he will exult over you with loud singing. Okay, I was thinking of God as this guy who's like waiting for me to mess up, who I should be like fearful and shameful of. But this is what the text says, that God rejoices over us. I'm going to let that set for a second, because that's awesome. God rejoices over us with gladness. He loves us. He comes for us. He's so excited for us that he pursues us. That's radically different. And if that thought permeates your heart, it's going to change how you do a lot of things. It's going to change how you experience relationship with him. And this is all activated through lots of different ways, but it's also activated through the act of giving. Now, this is going to get really cool, at least to me. I like geek out about this. So this word rejoice is our English translation of what the, the original text said. The original text is a Hebrew word, gul, G-U-W-L. It sometimes is spelled G-I-Y-L. But get ready for this. The word gul, the actual word, means spinning around under the influence of a violent emotion. It's kind of sad. We, we see rejoice, and it's kind of like cool. It's like, no. The, the, the closest thing I can think of, I'm about to get loud for a second, I'm a huge sports fan. My football team scores a touchdown. Let's go! Woo! Yeah! Okay. All right, you're at a concert, and there's a band that you've found before anybody else. 
You found them 10 years ago. They've only been in existence for five years, but you found them. There's the first song that they ever came out with before they were popular. All right, they do their concert. You're at the concert, you're experiencing it. They don't sing it and you're super bummed. But then all of a sudden the lights come up. They walk out on stage. They play the first few chords of your song. Woo! You are so excited. You're woo girl, girling all over the concert. You're jumping up and down. You're high-fiving. Like, guys, those are terrible examples because they don't reach the full depth of what God feels. But like, that is how God feels about you. You get that? Like, do you see that? The euphoria that you feel when your sports team scores a touchdown or a concert has your favorite song. Like, wow, that is how God loves and cares about you. And so when we see that bigger picture, when our hearts start to understand the way that God feels about us, we continue to learn more about him. We continue to grow in trying to honor him and follow his uh, direction and his discipline. And again, it all ties back to understanding the bigger picture because God wants this for us. Like this is how God gives us. God loves a cheerful giver and he gives to us with this attitude. It's like, yeah, I'm so excited. I get to give Micah more of me. I get to give you more of who I am. That's how excited he gets about giving to us. And so when we process giving, do you see how this is so much more than I have to give 10% of my money to the church and I don't like it? No, it's like, wow, I get to partner with what the Lord is doing because the Lord loves me so much. And I get to have an opportunity to grow and develop and learn more in him. And then that makes me excited to get to partner with the church in that way. I get jazzed about that. I'm sorry if I'm too loud. All right. Um, yeah, so let's go ahead. That's the first point. And I, I, seriously, I hope that that concept, that you'll sit with that this week, because if you really understand that the Lord feels that way about you, it changes a lot of things. And it really spoke to my heart, uh, whether that's about giving or just in your understanding of who God is in general. Let's transition to the second point. Why is it important to give financially to the local church? To glorify God by proclaiming his provision. Let's look at verse 8 again. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Looking at that verse, it doesn't say God is able to make some grace abound to you so that having some sufficiency in some things that sometimes you may abound in a little bit of good work. God has provided everything. He has provided all grace to abound to you so that you may have all sufficiency in all things at all times so that you may abound in every good work. These are like definitive statements, right? These aren't just kind of like so-so statements. When we think about God's provision to us, the greatest provision that he's made for us is his son, right? I mentioned this a little bit in the earlier passage, but we were created by God for relationship. Because of our sin, we were distanced from that relationship. God sent his own, his, his beloved son to us to die on the cross for us so that we might be saved, so that we could reenter a relationship with him for the ultimate glory of God. Like our relationship with God ultimately glorifies God because God designed us to be in relationship with him, like we talked about in the first point. 
So God's ultimate provision for us is not necessarily financially. His ultimate provision for us is that we're able to have a relationship with him. And so many times, especially in the church, this almost becomes rote. It's kind of like, I've even done it before. I prayed a prayer and it's like, yeah, God, thank you for sending your son to die on the cross to save us from our sins. Amen. It's like, what? For real? Like, there is so much power. There is so much provision that God has done for us through that single act that I fear we don't fully understand his provision for us in that. I fear that we don't grasp, specifically speaking about myself, oftentimes I go through my life and I don't grasp the way that God has provided for us. It's like, do we really believe all of this? Like, do we really believe that the Bible is real? Do we really believe that what God has outlined for us is real? Because if we believe that the creator of the universe created us, loved us so much that when we messed it up, he made a huge sacrifice for, for, to provide for us to get back into relationship with him. Like, do you hear what I'm saying? The creator of the universe made the biggest sacrifice possible to seek out relationship with you. And that's how he provided for you with all things in all times and all sufficiency for every good work. That changes things, right? That's a big deal. Kind of speaking more practically, I guess, I've been talking big picture, both most of the first point and some of this point. You might be thinking like, yeah, I'm tracking with you, but how does that relate to, to finances? Again, the more that we understand the character of God, the more that we understand who God is, the more that our hearts are going to be activated to cheerfully give. So uh, let's look at the, the verse here, Mark 12, 41 through 44. It says, this is that Jesus is in the temple. Many of you might have heard this verse before. It says, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she has had to live on. When we're talking about finances, we get so bogged down with the rules. We get so bogged down with, do we tithe pre-tax? Do we tithe post-tax? Do I have to do this? Do I have to do that? Like, the creator of the universe sought us out if that affects our heart, we know, like this widow gave everything that she had to the church, and it wasn't because she was crazy. It was because she knew that no matter what, God was going to provide for her in all the ways, in every situation. And I'll, I'll posit this to you as well. The, the Pharisees were putting in all kinds of money. They were putting in, you know, 10% of everything, making a big show of it. The average individual might think that the Lord had provided for them more because in an earthly sense, they were more well off. They had more money. They had more things. Whereas this person was a widow or her husband had passed away. She was poor. Like she might not necessarily think that God had provided for her, but she saw the big picture. She saw that the provision is not in finances. The provision is in the relationship that she's able to have with the creator of the universe. 
The provision is in growing an understanding of who God is. So provision is not necessarily your wealth, your status. The provision is that God has sought out a relationship with you. And that is what should inspire our hearts to get on board. That is what we can proclaim God's provision for us in the way that we behave, in the way that we operate through our financial giving. Let's move on to the last point here. Why is it important to financially give to the local church? To glorify God by partnering with his people. We're going to nail down a little bit, get more practical as I, I talked about. Let's look at verse 11 here. Um, let's see, got it here. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So the goal here, the way that we glorify God is by partnering with his people, which then produces thanksgiving to God. So let's get practical. Tithing, the concept of tithing, actually originates in the Old Testament. Some of you may know. But there was a guy named Moses. Moses uh, led the Israelites out of the promised land. Or out of, sorry, Egypt towards the promised land. Moses didn't actually get with the people of Israelites to the promised land. There was a bunch of thing, crazy things that happened in between. But ultimately, a guy named Joshua led the Israelites to the promised land. When they get to the promised land, which was literally the land that God had promised them, they divided up all the land. And there's a lot more, both theologically and historically, that go into this. But basically speaking, every tribe, there were 12 tribes of Israel, every tribe got a portion of land from the promised land that was appointed by God, except for one tribe. This tribe was a tribe called the Levites. The Levites served kind of as a liaison between God and the people. They had a priestly role, a priestly office. So they, a lot of their time was spent working for the people, like through the Lord. So a way that the Lord provided for them because they weren't able, they were so busy working like in the temples and doing the things that God had outlined for them, for both themselves and the rest of the 11 tribes, the way that God provided for them was by having what we would call a tithe um, that would come in to the Levites. So the other 11 tribes basically started paying their tithes, so to speak, that would go to the Lord through giving to the Levites. So that's kind of where the whole concept originated. Obviously, there's sacrifices to the Lord in earlier parts of the Bible and things like that, but the, what we know is the tithe basically started there. So what does that mean for us now? That was a long time ago. It was in the Old Testament. You might even say, like, there's nothing about that in the New Testament. Well, I'm not sure if you remember, but recently uh, Barrett was speaking on the body of Christ, uh, the body of believers. So here at ICC and at the local church, if you didn't necessarily hear that sermon, basically the, there's a concept in Christianity where the universal church is the body of Christ and then you're like the local church is also the body of Christ. And each kind of area of the body has different responsibilities, right? The hand is important, the eye is important, the foot's important. It's all important in different ways. So you have kind of the universal body of Christ, but then you have like the local body of believers, which is the church. Well, in the same way that uh, historically the Israelites kind of provided for the Levites in the local church, our role as kind of members of the church 
is to provide for the different body of, or the different parts of the body of believers that we have here at our church. So when you think about it, we got to separate the concept of tithing from just I'm, I'm clicking a button online or I'm putting some money into a box. We are able to partner uh, with the body of believers as a whole. So Acts 4, 34 through uh, 35 says, there was not a needy person among them for as many as we were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and he laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So the reason I wanted to look at this verse is that this is a New Testament example. Um, we're speaking about this concept of tithing, and, you know, there's discrepancy. Some people say that tithing is an Old Testament law. But here we see in the New Testament, people are selling lands and houses. So, like, if you want to start talking about following precedent, what do we see in, in the scripture here? Now, I'm not saying you have to sell your house. I'm not saying you have to sell your land. But what I'm saying is understanding that these people were a local body. And they were selling everything they had to provide for that local body. And what did that look like? They would sell everything and they would put it at the apostles' feet. That's basically saying they would give it under the direction and the discretion of the leaders of their local church. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, brief aside, I know in this day and age, there's a lot of questions or curiosity about integrity of organizations. There's some of you might be thinking, like, I don't know about how I can give money to an organization that I don't necessarily trust. But ICC has a lot of checks and balances. As I mentioned earlier, we have the finance team. We have a different oversight. We have double verification on, on our checks that are over a certain amount. So I just wanted to kind of allay some of your fears there, that there are tons of checks and balances built in to make sure that your money that you do give is being taken care of here at ICC. But getting back kind of to the point of the, the body, instead of thinking about my money is going to the church and it's going to this black hole, everything that you give to this local church has a ripple effect impact on the kingdom of God. Like the chairs that you're sitting in today to be able to hear a message were paid for by someone, right? To everyone that's watching online, like someone paid for those cameras. We partner with missions partners around the world and we literally provide for them so that they can go reach unreached people groups. Staff members here, I mean, to some extent, we're helping staff members have a place to live because they are serving us, they are loving on us, they're serving our community. And so we, we help support them by giving to the church. And even that necessarily doesn't cut it as far as our understanding. It's easy for to get to forget. Like for instance, we recently bought a vehicle for a mission partner in Tanzania. Because of that gift, he was able to drive to villages that had never heard the gospel. And he was able to take indigenous pastors to help. And they were able to witness the people. And so people came to know Jesus because of a dollar that you in Memphis, Tennessee, sitting in this seat, some of your dollars that you gave literally had a ripple effect of changing a life around the world. Do you see the big picture of this? It's not about, gosh, do I have to give some of my money to the church? It's not only are we supporting the body of believers, we're supporting people around the world. And another thing I want to say about this quickly, as I know there's a ton of good organizations out there. There really are. 
there's some wonderful parachurch organizations that do great work in the field. And so there's like maybe a question of why necessarily do I need to give to the local church? Well, first and foremost, I think because as we just saw in those scriptures, there's a precedent in the New Testament of providing for your local body and for entrusting the leaders that you have to help disseminate that financial gift. But also, as we think about the process of what financially giving actually does, we have the opportunity to make a change in our local city. We have an opportunity to make a change in our local world. I don't know. That's just exciting to me thinking about that. As we transition to the conclusion, I hope you're seeing it today that I'm not up here yelling at you to tithe. I'm not up here trying to demand that, you know, you pull out your wallet. So what I'm trying to do is invite you to an understanding of the goodness of God. I'm trying to invite you to an understanding that like, if we fully understood who God was, if we fully understood the way that he has provided for us, then I think that would affect our hearts and our understanding of generosity. And do I believe that you should give 10% of your earnings to the local church? I do. And then I think that you, obviously, if you wanted to give to other organizations, you could give uh, as much as you want there. But to me, it's not even necessarily about that. My goal here today is not to try to convince you to give to the church. My goal here today is to convince you to assess your heart in understanding how much the Lord loves you and has given to you. My goal here this morning is trying to get you to assess your heart and understanding how much the Lord has provided and sacrificed for you. And my goal here this morning is try to help you understand how literal lives are being changed in your local church, in your community, and in your world by the way that you've partnered with people through your financial donation. Uh, there was a study done recently, and I don't have the specifics on it, but it said the average person that attends a church and gives, gives about 2.5% of their income. Uh, Billy Graham, he was a famous televangelist, or not televangelist, but he used to say that if you give me five minutes with a person's checkbook, basically I can tell you like, what their heart loves. I can tell you like, where their heart is. And again, I say that not because I'm trying to convict you or guilt you into giving. I say that because, like, again, my heart's cry this morning is that you understand how much the Lord loves you. Like, he's ghouling over you. He's celebrating over you. And then as you begin to grow an understanding of that love, that that then would stir your heart into giving in accordance with what we see in the New Testament. So we're going to shift at this point to a time of prayer. Uh, some of you guys that have been here with us recently, what we do is we like to take some time to focus on prayer here in the room. So I'm going to have in a minute, not yet, uh, we're going to have you break up into groups and do some, some praying over some of these things that we've talked about. But I want to go over the prayer points here in just a second. Before I jump into that, one last thing I want to say. 
is that none of, none of the concept of financial giving, tithing, any of that, none of it makes sense if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Financial giving isn't about feeling good. It's not even necessarily about helping other people. It's about an expression and an understanding of God's character and who God is. It's about understanding how God loves us. And so if you haven't ever had a relationship with the Lord, if you aren't engaged in a relationship with him and you're curious about that, you want to know more, you want to know some about this stuff that I'm talking about up here, we're going to have uh, counselors and pastors available after service and would love to give you the opportunity to talk to them if you're interested in anything that, or you want to learn more about that. But if you're sitting there and you're like, none of this makes sense, I would just ask you to assess where your heart is in relationship with the Lord. But let's transition into the prayer time. Uh, point number one, I'm going to have you guys pray that God would place a desire in your heart to pursue him. Pray that he would give you a greater understanding of his love for you and that he would stir your heart towards cheerful giving. The second prayer point, pray a prayer to give thanks for all the ways he has provided for you. Pray that you'd have opportunities this week to proclaim his provision. And then the third point, pray for our church and that God would allow us to glorify him by providing for others through our local body. Pray that the Lord would stir your heart towards partnering financially with the church. So I hope you guys um, were able to see this morning some of the beauty of this journey, that it's not about rules, it's not about, it's, it's so much more big picture. And I hope that I was able to illuminate that some for you this morning. God loves you so much. Like that's the thing that I want you to go away from this whole message with is that God loves you so much that he's jumping up and down in excitement to pursue you. And I hope that that kind of sinks in this morning. So let's go ahead. Let's split up into groups, three, four, five people, kind of turn around to the people around you. Let's start praying over some of these uh, prayer points. And we'll go from there. Thank you guys. Thank you again for joining us for today's Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis. We want to encourage you to join us in person for worship soon. No podcast can ever replace the good design of God in gathering in person with other believers for worship in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with ICC, you can visit us at iccmemphis.com. As we close, we offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Thanks again for joining us.